You should be so excited for this episode, not only because our guest is awesome. Her name is Kate Calavota, and Kate is with Misty Pines Consulting. She is an expert in a lot of different areas, but what we dig into specifically is something that food companies right now need to be paying attention to, which is the bioengineered labeling laws that are coming up. We talk not only about labeling laws and packaging and packaging design, but also about Kate's story, about what she's doing at Misty Pines Consulting. It is awesome stuff. We're also excited to announce a new partnership uh, that we have here with the People of Packaging podcast, along with um, some content that I'm going to be doing, working with a company called Specrite. You see them if you're watching this, you can see them back here on my screen. So Specrite is the first purpose-built platform for specification management. So if you are tired, and it is so cumbersome, of managing your specs and spreadsheets, PDFs, relying on suppliers to do it for you. When I worked for a packaging manufacturer, we constantly had people reaching out. Hey, can I get the specs for this? Can I get the specs for that? Why don't you just manage it yourself, right? You can learn how Specrite can help you digitize and take control of your data to drive sustainability reporting, skew rationalizations, and a whole lot more. You can go to specrite.com backslash PKG to learn more. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T dot com slash p k g all right let's get into this i'm so excited for this partnership with Specrite. i'm so excited for this episode with kate kate is incredible i'm so happy to know her and you'll be excited to meet her too let's get going all right i'm here with kate calavoda and kate and i uh we met at a fortis function here in utah uh, a few was it a few months ago a month ago i don't know it was uh a month ago yeah almost exactly a month ago almost that's crazy almost exactly a month ago feels um, like a week it does it it really honestly does yeah. um and and i've had a you know a change in my uh career since then but uh you know certainly still uh, appreciate and value everything that uh, fortis does and um and kate did an awesome job presenting at a solution summit and we're going to get into that a little bit um but I, I really just want to get into the question on everyone's mind, which is, who the heck are you, Kate? So uh, thanks <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. This is really a pleasure and uh, appreciate you having me on. I've listened to some of your other podcasts and you have had the most amazing cross-section of guests, uh, people from all over the world even. I think I listened to an episode where you had someone from France, a packaging engineer, and uh, so, yeah, so much talent and so many cool people. So, yeah, happy to be on. Appreciate oh, it. yeah. And you're you're only going to add to that. I can guarantee it. Um, I just talked to a guy today, actually, uh, from Germany, who's going to come on. So we are we're expanding because, uh, you know, packaging. And this is what's so cool about it, I think, is I, I've said this before often, like every person on Earth is a packaging buyer. Everybody yes. buys packaging, whether or not they realize it or not is another question. But you know, when I like, I'm, I've got this Starbucks drink right here. Um, and, you know, I own this sleeve and this cup and this lid, like I got to do something with this. Um, so I have as a consumer, I've bought the packaging. And when I put it to people like that, they're like, Oh, I guess I should be a little bit more interested in, yeah, in what's going sure. on with this. So uh, yeah, it's it's obviously it's a large global, uh, global industry. So uh, Kate, why don't you, uh, outside of just kind of what people could look up, look up on LinkedIn, you know, certainly, uh, anyone can, can connect up with you there, with you there, but you know, where do you live and how did you get into this 
crazy world of packaging. Definitely. It's, it has not been a linear journey. Um, but I think that the more people I talk to in the packaging industry, that's kind of the case. Um, I, I currently live in Central California. Our, our offices are in Hanford, California, which is kind of like the breadbasket of California for sure in, in a lot of ways, uh, maybe even the United States. The uh, amount of food products produced in our region is just staggering. Everything from fruits, dried fruits, fresh fruits, frozen, uh, walnuts, almonds, all types of different nut products, pistachios, to even the dairy products and and meats and and now even plant-based meats and mm-hmm. and some of the technologies that are developing there. So, for the clients we serve, we're we're really ideally located. But I, I would love to tell you that that was all by design. It totally was not. It just kind of happened very organically. Uh, my background actually is in architectural design and drafting. Naturally. And uh, yeah, that totally goes with packaging, right? And food and regulatory and all of that. And, and so um, over the years, I worked in my, my very first job in Hanford was, was for an architect back in the 90s. And um, now I'm very quickly giving cues to how old I might be. Um, but that's cool. So in the early 90s, I, I worked with uh, an architect and there was a housing boom and there would be like a subdivision and I would help draft all the plans for that. And then that project would be done. And then he would call his buddy down the street and he'd say, okay, I'm out of work, but so-and-so down the street's working on another subdivision. And so I would go there, or sometimes I would work for architects and just clean out their storage room. It was just mm. whatever work was there. Uh, but then I eventually went to work for a sign company and I was doing uh, architectural drafting for, for neon signs and scoreboards, which was super cool. Awesome. We worked on, uh, yeah, we worked on FedEx Field for um, the team that formerly known as the Redskins. And uh, <laughs> the Washington, isn't it the Washington football team? I think it is now. Yeah. The Washington football team. Yes. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to the Washington football team. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and FedEx Field, uh, those, you know, drawing the, the plans for the signs, like those gigantic neon letters was a job I totally enjoyed. And That's crazy. Because, yeah. uh, sorry, I, I don't want to m- disrupt your your flow. I feel like the emperor's new groove. I don't know if you've seen that movie when he's like, you've thrown <laughs> out the yet. emperor's groove. Anyway, uh, but it, like, t- I, I would have never, I mean, packaging is the same kind of industry in the sense that like, I never would have thought that an, like you needed architectural design for this. And it makes total sense, right? But like, that that's a job. You know, that somebody has to design these scoreboards. They have to, you know, withstand some sort of structural integrity. So they don't just fall over when it's really windy or when there's, you know, especially like in Washington, when there's a hurricane or, you know, any like that is, that's crazy. I've never made that connection until today. That's super cool. Let's take a quick break here from this episode and talk about spec, right? Listen, as Kate was talking about her job and how there's all these weird jobs out there that maybe feel like you're kind of siloed, like nobody else really knows about what you're doing. We can really resonate with that in the packaging industry, right? Like you're always explaining yourself to people about what you do and you know, people are like, I don't really get it. But imagine this, your data feels the exact same way. Uh, when you kind of silo your data into a PDF or you silo your data into a spreadsheet where only you can have access to it, 
uh, your data gets lonely and it lacks the connectivity throughout the rest of the supply chain. Specrite can help you change that. I want you to go to specrite.com slash PKG. You can learn more about ways that they can help your brand. Don't make your data feel so lonely, right? Like help it make that connection, help bring it to life. Go to specrite.com and check it out. Let's jump back into this interview with Kate, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome that you, that, sure. that was a thing that that's on your resume. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. It all kind of does flow together. There's still structural types of considerations that, that go into play. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of the jobs weren't quite as, as glamorous as some of the scoreboards and professional sports stadiums that we worked on. Some of them were just an office depot in Chandler, Arizona or something like that. And so I'm drawing the connections to show how the sign's gonna fit on the building or how many rows of neon back when they still use neon, now it's all LED in the signs. Mm -hmm. uh, but I turned into, at that time, and, and this is part of my personality, I become such a nerd. Whatever I, I delve into that is my, my career and focus at that moment, I wanna learn everything I can about it and be the best that I can be in that particular arena. And so for me going to a shopping center, my family and friends hated shopping with me because I'm looking up as we're going in the entrance. I'm like, oh, wow, what kind of raceway did they use on that? Or I wonder how many rows of neon or what the amperage is or just, you know, such a nerd. You've got to be but, insufferable right now in like uh, Whole Foods. I can only imagine. Totally, yes. I, I'm pulling all the packages off the shelf going out of compliance out of compliance <laughs> kind of like that that tv commercial where the, the, the chick's going expired <laughs> the, the aunties at the house i think it's a geico commercial or something yeah yeah yeah. it's yeah. uh oh gosh what was it? yeah it's something about ants yes i don't remember anyway i, I forget yeah but i don't i know yeah. I, I can visualize it but yeah so that's you when you're walking through a, a you know a grocery aisle is yeah that i I can only imagine that shopping, which would normally be maybe, you know, like a 20 minute activity is now like Kate's lost in her own world of like wondering, like, why is Kate still in the prune aisle? She's, she's been in there for an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's not because I have a digestive need. It's, it's because I'm looking at the packaging. Yes, totally. Right, right. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. No, my, my family is like, let's just do Instacart so we don't have to go to the store. <laughs> But uh, no yeah, so, so definitely going from the, the sign company, that actually probably would have been my career for the rest of my life. I worked for a, a fairly small company. We had a, a local office in Fresno, California, and I loved the people that I worked with. I loved my job, but I, I ended up getting really sick and I, I developed Lyme disease. I was bitten by a tick actually many years prior and didn't even realize hmm. it. I, I remember having some symptoms like the flu for a few days and then got better. And then years later it, it came in and it just absolutely leveled me. And uh, so I, I ended up having to resign from that job, which was horrible. In fact, my first letter of resignation was denied. My boss is like, no, you can't leave. And we tried, but at that time work from home in the early late nineties, early two thousands was not as feasible as it is now. Right. And, uh, and I just really needed some downtime to, to recover. And so a year into to recovering at home, there was one day a knock on the door and it was, 
it was a guy, a, a cowboy that lived across the road. We, we lived out in the country. My, my husband and kids and I had uh, a bunch of horses. Well, I still have horses at the time, but uh, we had uh, a breeding ranch. And so this cowboy comes over, knocks on the door and he's like, hey, I understand you do like some kind of graphic design stuff, which, which I did. That was, that's part of my skill set. Besides the very technical drawing, we also at the sign company would do a lot of color renderings and and a lot of pre-engineering work like the the actual design work how is this going to look how do we want this to look design strategy so I, I said yeah yeah I can do some design and he said well I just won this thing called the world's greatest horseman and I need to create some magazine ads I wondered if you'd have time to help and I was starting to get really really bored just this whole recovery thing was miserable for me because I am pretty intense and, and high energy and need something to dive into so I said sure and uh, that was my first freelance gig and mm. so from there I developed a, a freelance design business and I designed everything from letterhead and business cards to some signage on the side um, I kind of developed I had at that point done photography more as a hobby. I developed that as an employable skill to add to the design. Um, sometimes for the different associations, show associations that I started working with, they needed photos of their horses for their show or something like that. So right. just kind of ran with it. And along the way, um, so there were... Uh, horse show ads there's there's all these other things going on letterhead professional branding I started working with companies that needed packaging and then eventually I was able to land a, a client that was just a they became my full-time client almost my sole client I would keep a couple of little side jobs but their sole need was for a packaging designer and, and it was funny, the, the description, the job description for what they were looking for from a service provider, it was strictly about the design of the packaging and working with the printers to make sure that the artwork was set up in a way that it was going to have the best outcome on press. It's separated based on the number of colors that they're using or whether it's Rotogravure or Flexo or, or whatever it is. And I thought, well, that piece of cake, I can do that. I've been doing <laughs> that for a while. And uh, so about three months into that relationship, working with that client, I got a phone call one day and they were in an absolute panic. They had just had a, a six pack of raisins that was pulled off the shelf in, I want to say Connecticut or somewhere back East. And they were completely freaking out. It was pulled for non-compliance and it was pulled by weights and measures. And the, the funny thing was this package had been designed and set up by my predecessor. So I hadn't even seen the artwork yet. Hmm. And they said, you need to come into the office, take a look. So we're looking at this six pack that was pulled from the shelf and it was deemed non-compliant because of the way that the net weight statement was, was specified on the package. A huge bummer. Uh, but, but the first question that got fired to me by, I can't remember who, I think it was the vice president or someone in the room looks at me and goes, why didn't you tell us about this? I'm like, whoa, this is the first time I've laid eyes on this. But that was, that was a really amazing moment for me because it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Not only do we really need to have a handle on how the package looks, but there is this huge void when it comes to the regulatory. 
-hmm. everyone can kind of get on the same page with, yeah, that package looks good. That one doesn't, or the, the details about how it's going to print. Okay. It seemed like everyone had a pretty good idea of how that needed to go. You know, can we afford six colors if this is printing litho, or can we really only afford four and go from there? But the regulations seem like kind of a mystery to both the food manufacturer and even in some cases, the retailers. And I, I was just blown away by that. I thought, why don't retailers have their own regulatory compliance program in place and people looking at this? And sometimes they do. It was just in this instance, they did not. Mm. And a lot well, not of to mention the packaging yeah. manufacturers. It was surprising to me how many people would would come to me at at any one of my previous uh, employers as a packaging printer and it was like well how did you not know you know that this wouldn't have been in compliance or that you know we had to state this and it's like because we print things for thousands of customers across multiple countries across various industries and to assume that our QA is going to have intimate knowledge of every regulatory thing that's going to happen is crazy. Uh, it, particularly oh, yeah. when I worked when I worked in Colorado and I lived there, and recreational cannabis was really you know making a, a gathering a whole lot of steam. Uh, also, along with the the medical, and people just assumed that I knew what they had to put on there, and I was like, I have no idea. It probably right. changed last week. Like I have yes. zero clue. Like. And at the end of the day, and this is what, and this is why I'm I'm so happy to to have met you, and that to know that there are people out there where it's like, at the end of the day, you as the brand owner are a hundred percent responsible for that. Like you yes. need to understand, um, you know, whether it's it's foreign languages, like that it is in compliance, and it's going to get through, you know, Australia or Taiwan or Singapore or the EU or whatever it might be, like. You you need to make sure we will guide as well as we can, but when you sign off on that proof, now it's on you, right? Like it's yes, hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. That's that's cool. So you so you notice this gap, I guess, in in knowledge really, um, is kind of where you were going. So between the the brand and the retailers and then even the, the packaging manufacturers, you're like, how does nobody how did nobody maybe catch this or know? that it was out of compliance, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And was everyone pointing fingers in the room? Like, that's on you. That's on you. That's oh. and finally the VPs like, Kate, that's on you. And you're like, Whoa, <laughs> Whoa, time out everybody. Zach Morris. Uh, we need to <laughs> yes. exactly. Ah. Yeah. That's how it felt in that moment. It was, it was complete finger pointing. And when at first I wanted to feel a little defensive, like, Hey, I'm new here. I'm the newest person in this room. How can this be? And then instead of doing that, it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? You're right. That's totally on me. I am going to own that. I am going to be the best I can be at understanding the regulations and helping to provide insight. And so that was what really led me to develop that particular set of services that we provide. And at that point, it was anything that I could learn. If it was a, a class, uh, Michigan State University has been an amazing resource because they have uh, undergrad and postgrad level certifications, classes, you can get a master's degree in, in food packaging law there if you want to. And mm -hmm. um, it's- Do you have one, by the way? 
I, I don't. It's something that I've wanted to work towards, but the investment in time it doesn't quite balance out for me. Someday yeah. maybe I will as, as I kind of start to step back in the business and let some of our other employees that are rock stars take on more and more of the day-to-day -day responsibility. Then I'm looking at maybe doing that just be because cool. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. But just having the certifications that I do have, it's kind of like, what's the biggest emergency of the day? Okay. Take that class or get that certification. Right. Um, so and what, what's the name we haven't even talked about. What's the name of your, of your current company? Sure. So our company is Misty Pines Consulting. Awesome. And, and, uh, and you're, yeah. you're still in, is it Hanford? That's right. Hanford. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, that's, Just uh, because people always ask, they, they're like, Misty Pines, what are you, are you in the mountains? And we're actually not, we're in this, this dry, arid valley, this agricultural valley, but uh, I just have to throw in that Misty Pines comes from the names of my two horses and I, I put them together. So I have one horse, her full name is Misty Joe. And, uh, and then my gelding, his name is Dakota's Poco Pines. So mm. we take the Misty Pines, but that, and, and I grew up in, in Colorado actually, which is something we have in common. And I love the mountains I, here in, in California. I love the Sierras. And so it, it all just kind of fit together. And, uh, that's like cool. Hey, while there's... while you were describing, uh, while you were describing, uh, Hanford, it, I had the scene from um, was it Best in Show? I think where their guys going. He's talking about all of the like different, uh, like flavors or different like types of nuts you can buy, and he's like walnuts, pine nuts, <laughs> like <laughs> yes. cashew nuts, and he just keeps going on and on and on because you hit like six or seven in a row, and I was like, wow, all right, we're gonna go full. Have you seen that movie too? I, I, I haven't. Gonna... No, oh, I'm gonna add that to okay. my list. Oh, okay, man. yeah. Best in Perfect. show, Emperor's New Groove. I, we we could we could talk for a while about it. We'll follow up Definitely. offline. Uh, Absolutely, that'll, that'll be interview number two. Is yes. uh, what what movies has Kate watched <laughs> since <Awesome>. our, <laughs> since number one? Um, and, and so so Misty Pines, you still are you're still doing like some graphic design, some structural design, um, but is your primary focus now regulatory? Yes and no. We kind okay. of we have three different facets that, that we combine. And so we can help clients with any one of these three or, or all three together. It, it just really depends on what their need is. But the first facet of course is the design. So yes, we definitely do a lot of graphic design, uh, creative work. We've got a, a, a studio in house so we can do custom photo shoots. Um, that's that's been a lot of fun. We have we have a, a nerdy team. I've, I've tended to hire people that have the same sense of humor that I do. Fortunately, they have other strengths and weaknesses, so we're we're not just a one note band. But um, but we all have the same nerdy sense of humor. So when we're doing food styling, you know, we crack up and we make all kinds of jokes about man that that cluster of grapes is just not smiling today, or you know whatever. It's just it's a lot of fun. We have a good time with it. Uh, but we can also do finished package photo shoots as well for companies that need to have their images to put online for walmart.com or Costco. Um, so yeah. we're well-versed in that criteria of the big box retailers. Um, so we've, we've got the creative aspect. And then the second facet of, of what we provide is in fact, yes, the regulatory. And we, we specialize in U.S. and Canada regulations. Um, however, we, we can help with regulatory matters in virtually any country. Um, 
around the globe. We've got a fantastic network of regular regulatory professionals that we work with. So if it's something where we feel it might be outside of our comfort zone, most of the time we, we can review the regulations for say Japan or something like that and feel very, very confident that yes, we can provide the best guidance possible to export to that country. But sometimes we need to call in an expert in that particular country. And we've got just tremendous resources that we can work with or pair up a client with if necessary. And we can step out of the picture. Sometimes that's the answer, but yeah. always we're able to provide a solution one way or another for a regulatory need in, in any country. That's and, awesome. It kind of, it yeah. kind of reminds me of the conversation I had with, uh, with Matthew Wright, who is, uh, that was on earlier as the CEO of, uh, of SpecRite. And they do like they do packaging specification management software, um, you know, and, and it seems like the regulatory side, you know, the specification management, like these are the areas of this trillion dollar industry that, uh, you know, that lights are being shown onto anymore. It's, it's, you know, obviously the, like you mentioned, you know, the shelf stability, the, the look and feel, is it on brand? Is the car, the colors, right? What's the cost, all that stuff. You know that that is that it's fairly commonplace in terms of conversations, but right. You know, understanding how to manage and track your you know your compliance, your regulatory, your specifications, these sorts of things, I think, have become not not only critical. I would say mandatory, um, especially as laws are sort of on uh, always changing and, and you did a good job and I kind of want to get into this. You did a good job of outlining how uh, the law in, was it Vermont that like Vermont passed a law? I think it was, I'm going to be going off of memory here, but the, the state, a state passes a law that the federal government had to step in and say, well, now this has to be a federal law. And 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 was that uh, what was that one for? Was that GMO? I can't remember. It was absolutely yeah, good memory. Okay. So it was it was the GMO labeling law, and and this was really just kind of bubbling up to the surface uh, in the mid two thousands. You know, two thousand five it kind of started, and then by two thousand eight and around two thousand ten, this is kind of becoming a hot button issue in this country, and and a lot of that was because of uh, what was happening in Europe and the European Union labeling requirements and the way they viewed GMO foods. And that was about the time that the term Frankenfood, um, that, that word, that term became coined and um, that, that kind of freaked people out a little bit. So um, people decided that they kind of wanted to know if there were GMOs or what the USDA calls bioengineered, it's, that's their correct terminology. Uh, bioengineered ingredients in their food. And because the federal agencies can kind of move at a, a snail's pace at adopting new regulations, states, certain states decided that, hey, we're not going to wait for a federal regulatory framework. We're going to make our own. And so the state of Vermont adopted a, a law, passed a law that uh, required any foods that contained what their terminology was, was a, a genetically modified ingredient that had to be labeled regardless of whether it was a, a soup or a, a cracker or a type of corn or um, a dairy product. And that started picking up traction. So other states, mostly in kind of the Northeast part of the country, 
decided that, hey, we want to get on board too. And so they were creating their own versions of the laws that were somewhat aligned with the Vermont law, but maybe slightly different. And it was going to create a situation that impeded interstate commerce because then suddenly you have food manufacturers that ship to all 50 states. Right. And but they, they, they can't afford to just label for Vermont, right? Because right. how do you know, how can you control, okay, this shipment is going to go to a distribution center that's only going to sell to the state of Vermont would be like, well, it sucks for the people of Vermont because yeah. uh, I think a similar thing actually happened here in Utah with, uh, was it, I think it was 3-2 beer. They had to change, they had to end up changing the alcohol content up because no alcohol companies like no beer companies were actually going to make beer because it was the, it was one of the few states that had it and they were like oh okay so anyway that's interesting yes. yeah that, make, that makes total sense like poor vermont is just not going to get food <laughs> yeah that was kind of what it was coming down to either they don't get it or there's you know, a situation where food producers assume a certain amount of risk by labeling for vermont and then maybe there's going to be other states that have other laws and it may or may not be compliant. And it started creating a big mess. Mm -hmm. And finally, at that point, with some pressure from some of the bigger uh, food uh, lobbying groups, for, for back, lack of a better term, but there's um, FMI was one of them. And uh, there's another one that's, that's since changed their name, but it was at the time it was GMA, the Grocery Manufacturers Association. And so they stepped up the pressure on Congress and said, hey, we can't have this situation. This is food business and, and gr the grocery business in our country is so imperative that we get groceries where they need to be. We can't disrupt that. Right. So let's, let's find a way to make this work. And, and so they did. And at that point, they started the framework for a bill. They introduced a bill into the Senate and then with the house and i think i mentioned in uh, at the summit it was the fastest bill that's ever passed both houses of congress in history and then been signed by law into a, uh, into law by a president and I, all of that was done within the space of just over 3 weeks it was that's crazy amazing yes no other law has ever passed uh, both houses of congress and made it to the president's desk for a signature in that short amount of time but and i think i think that's that also really highlights the the importance of you know not only the uh, paying attention to what's happening in other states um and i mentioned in when i spoke afterwards about uh, amazon's transparency program that yes. you know you may, you may not think about you know, for example, the extended producer responsibility law going into effect in Maine and potentially in Oregon, if you're living in Utah. But that story alone about Vermont, and then, you know, these, and then it becoming this national thing is like, no, you really should, you really have to be paying attention to it, because it, it things can change like that. And, and having uh, not only partners who can help you uh, bring in, you know, folks like yourself, but who can also pivot very quickly, uh, becomes, becomes really critically important. Um, I know that there's a couple of things that I kind of wanted to get to that are very specific, but I, that are very pressing right now. And you spoke to one of them, uh, which is sort of a continuation of our previous thought, which is the, is it the bioengineered labeling law, 
that goes into effect. Is it January? That's right. Yes. 2022. So the, yep. That's right. Okay. Exactly. The official name, the, the acronym is the NBFDS, which is the national bioengineered food disclosure standard. And so that, that is the result of the bill that was passed and signed into law by president Obama. And so it uh, kind of seems to have been sneaking up on people. The final rule was published in December of 2019. So technically food producers have had a full two years from the publication date to this mandatory compliance date of January 1st, 2022 to get ready. But with COVID and the final compliance for the new nutrition facts panels, which was another really huge landmark mm -hmm. act. And that- I'm pretty uh, sure also... packaging manufacturers and uh, plate manufacturers were the ones behind all of these changes. It's like, well, no, you guys need to, you need to, <laughs> you need to rev up your SKUs. We're going to have to change how this, um, I'm sure I, I know that there are very, very valid reasons why the change is just always like, it's always funny to me when it's like, no, your font size needs to change. It's like, oh, I guess you need more plates. Sorry. Oh, I know there's got to be several of our, our clients that feel that way. Like this had to be drummed up by the packaging industry. It's like, no, actually it wasn't, but it no, may seem yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and they've had, so when you are nerding out in a store and you're stuck in the prune aisle looking at packaging, um, what, I mean, uh, you'll have to just kind of like think of a number here, but as you look at like current items that are on the shelf today, and we're doing this interview here in August of 2021, I'm going to put it out as soon as I can, because this is a really pressing issue. How many people would you be like, there's actually, you know, 40% of these companies who are, who haven't come like gone into compliance or is it, you know, 95% who have, and there's just these stragglers, like, where do you think people are at? Because changing over a vast amount of SKUs to compliant printed packaging is a, is a process that could probably take longer than three or four months in for, for yeah. a lot of larger companies. Definitely. Yes. And you know, the, the larger companies for the most part, they do have in-house regulatory teams that do a really, really good job of staying on top of these issues. I would hope so. And yeah. So yeah, definitely. So your bigger companies like Campbell's or General Mills or uh, some of those type of companies, they, they have been compliant for six months or a year and, okay. and they're, they're pretty well set, but it's kind of the, the mid to smaller companies are the ones that are just completely being caught by surprise they are just now catching their breath after the whole NFP update. And maybe not just financially, but in terms of their in-house resources, their project management team and their packaging buyers. And if they have artwork teams in-house or whether they outsource that, either way, it's like everyone just took this big collective sigh of, thank God that's done. And then COVID happened and then struggling to get enough packaging because the demand for most grocery items went up. Right. And so then trying to manage that whole situation. And, and now this, um, those are the ones that are struggling the most to, to get compliant in time for this deadline in January. And in some cases, they haven't even started the process. They need to do an audit of their suppliers. And maybe they don't even have the information from their ingredient suppliers yet, which tells them either way, yes, this is a bioengineered ingredient. And therefore, you need to update your label. Or no, it's not, we're all good. We don't have to update the label. Now from here, we just have to keep 
records in accordance with BRC and the regulations set forth in the NBFDS, um, all of that. So those are the ones that they just feel so overwhelmed. They don't even know if they need new packaging yet or not. And, mm. and that's a tough place to be. Yeah, uh, I can't. I mean, with everything that's happened, right? Like you talked about the nutrition facts and then just just trying to keep your product on the shelf and keep things in stock and navigate, you know, for some, they had to, they had to pivot to direct consumer. Uh, you know, they were, there, there's so many things that have happened and obviously nobody knew that this was going to occur when it was, you know, put into law at this yeah. time. But the fact is it's here right now. And, and, you know, it's going to, it's going to impact a lot of people. So I, I really want to encourage, uh, I know, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a sales pitchy podcast. You know what I mean? Like I don't bring yeah. people on to just like sling their wares. Um, but I would, I would hate for anybody listening to this that is he even has that question of like, well, I wonder if we are, you know, if you're a packaging designer, if you're a buyer, whatever it is, you may find out like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had that covered a while ago. Super cool. Um, but you, you don't want to find out later, right? Cause it's going right. to be a process. You don't want to be sitting here in February and have a whole bunch of recalls, just like you had with the, uh, with that first job you, that those are going to become very, 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 very expensive. Um, and I think for, especially for a small and medium sized company can, can put you out of business. I mean, there's, yes. it's not like this is an insignificant thing. So, um, you know, I really want to encourage people, especially on this issue to please Kate's contact information will be in the show notes. Um, but please reach out to, to Kate and her team at Misty Pines. If you even have any questions about it, Kate's super helpful. And, um, I'm speaking for you, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. No. And we, we like to answer questions for free. Sometimes it's a simple question that we can do a free consultation or just provide a little bit of guidance and, mm -hmm. You know, if, if we need to set up something where, yeah, there is a problem and we need to establish an engagement and, and work through it together, then we will. But yeah, absolutely. Conversations are free always. So we definitely would love people to reach out to us. Yeah. And what, what's up with the, you were mentioning too before. So you've got the NBFDS <laughs> um, that is we've got on in January, but you also mentioned kind of before the call about the Food Allergen Act. Uh, what, and maybe there's people listening who are like, yeah, 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 we totally know what that is. Adam, you're so dumb. How do you not know about that? But I am, uh, that's why I love the podcast because I get to interview people who are significantly smarter than me and you would certainly qualify. So what is this, what, it, what is the food allergen act and what do people need to be aware of with that one? Sure. Sure. That was, um, earlier this spring, the faster act and man, it's, it's Monday. So, so I've slept a little and that, that brain cell might be sleeping still. Uh, but the faster, I want to say it was a food allergen safety. Uh, I'm forgetting the education research team might be transparency, but yeah, it's food allergen safety research, something act um, at any rate, most people in the industry think of that as the act that established sesame as the ninth allergen that has to be declared on a package. Previously, there were eight. And uh, so Sesame then adds one more to that list. And these are, are the major allergens, allergens that are most common in, in our country. Uh, however, 
to me, the most significant portion of this act isn't just that it added another allergen officially to the list that have to be declared on a package, but even more so it established a set period of time, 18 months for the Department of Health and Human Services to report back to Congress with their findings. And that body of research is going to be about other potential food allergens that are prevalent mm. in the population in our country. So it could be strawberries or mushrooms or something like that, but they're going to evaluate how common certain food allergies are and then determine if maybe there's others we need to add to that list as well. And I think that's important because sometimes these ingredients, they kind of hide a little bit in that ingredients declaration. Uh, maybe it's a particular ingredient that's got a very technical sounding name and we would have no idea that it comes from a certain substance unless right. it's labeled in the allergen declaration. So it's, it is an important issue. And uh, this act, the FASTER Act, actually set up the framework to expedite the process in the future if it's determined that we need to have other allergens that are declared on the label. Interesting. Yeah, that's, it's a, it is an ever changing world, right? I'm sure you guys yeah. feel like that in your, in your office. How many employees do you all have, by the way? Uh, we have, we have three in office and uh, then we have uh, a couple of remote employees. And occasionally if we are, really hit with a big project. We've got some amazing designers we also outsource to on a, a regular basis as well and work collaboratively together. But yeah, our core team is uh, the three of it. Well, four counting myself, the four of us in the office. That's awesome. Day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure given the, the, this ever changing landscape that you're, you're never bored, right? Like it's not, yeah. It's not as though somebody comes to you with a problem. You're like, oh, this is so easy. This is the easiest one. We've dealt with this, you know, a bazillion times, right? Like every, every company is different and every, and the people that work in that company are different. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I just, as I'm sort of sitting here jotting down notes and thinking about what, what does life look like at Misty Pines Consulting? I'm just envisioning this this, this incredible, like a lot of energy around this, this very specific topic um, amongst other things, right? Like you talked about how you have a broad base of services, but especially as something like this has become so imperative um, and, and dealing with regulations and regulatory compliance, I just, I can't, I can't imagine the kind of energy that's there as like deadlines are approaching and um, you know, even, even like I, like we talked about, we kind of joked about the the grocery store, right. But, yeah. but feeling almost like you, you talked about how you just dive all the way in. Right. And so seeing somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to get, you're going to get hit with all these fines. Like all this stuff's going to happen. You know, like sometimes when I, you know, when I would call a brand, it's like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but it looks like your orange on your label is different than your orange on your box. Is that intentional? And they're like, no, it's not. And okay, we'll get it fixed. And you're like, People might die if you <laughs> yes. don't change this. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, everyone says, like packaging is not life and death. And you're like, yeah, but sometimes it could be. Sometimes, and, yeah, for sure. And and that's something that that you all help out. Uh, well, that's, uh, man, um, there, there's a lot here. Like I said before, I really hope that people reach out to you. What, what would be the best way outside? I mean, I'll put the contact information down in the show notes, but what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you if they're like, oh my gosh, Kate, we 
we'd know we need to reach out and at least have a conversation with you. Definitely. You know, the best way is, is LinkedIn and they can send me a direct message and I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So, so that's a great way. Um, also they can, they can email me and uh, a lot of times for requests for meetings, uh, that will get forwarded to, to Shar, our office manager, and she'll set up a, a Zoom meeting or phone call. She'll work with you to figure out how we need to meet, what's going to work best for, for whoever, and uh, she'll set it up. One of my great joys in this podcast is connecting up uh, people who have been guests before. And on LinkedIn, when you jumped in on, it was the Terra Chips, where I was yes. like super disappointed uh, with, that, with that particular bag. Um, but you and, and Valerie Hawks from Interact Boulder, have you been able to link up? We, we connected. We haven't really had a conversation other than okay. just introductions and so great to meet you and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. No, they're, Super they're great. Excited. Yeah. It's, cool. it's such a, it's such a cool ecosystem, uh, the packaging industry. And especially when you find yes. like-minded people who aren't just out there, like, well, I can't wait to get my, you know, get my payday and, and make a whole bunch of money, but people who really genuinely, you know, care and want to connect and, and do the right thing. So, uh, and so Valerie true. is definitely, is definitely that kind of person. So, well, yeah, I'll make sure that your cool. LinkedIn is, is in the, in the show notes and also your, uh, your email address. And, and Kate, I really hope that uh, people, if, if you have any questions, I really hope that people reach out to you. Um, and, and, you know, just, just, you know, like you said, to have a quick conversation that might be, it might be really quick, or it might be like, we have a lot of work ahead and and let's get to it so thank you so much for being on my podcast though it's been great oh this was a blast yeah definitely hope to do a, a, another show again sometime it'd be awesome yeah let's, when see, I, we'll do we'll know, do something a couple movies yeah when i when i get out of the prune aisle in the grocery store and watch a movie <laughs> and then we'll talk just watch it on your phone while you're sitting in the prune aisle right like, perfect <laughs> awesome thanks kate all right take care Well, that'll do it for another episode of the People of Packaging podcast, sponsored and brought to you by Specrite. Please remember to go to specrite.com backslash PKG to learn more about ways Specrite can serve your brand. And if you would help support this podcast by liking and sharing and subscribing, because as you already know, we believe here is that packaging is awesome. Have a great day.